Welcome to the Two Tokens Podcast. During these episodes, we will invite guests onto our show and discuss everything token related. You can expect to hear about token business models, the underlying technology stack, token governance, but also more mainstream topics such as NFTs. Does this sound interesting to you? Then make sure you subscribe and keep listening. And now, on to the episode. Okay, good morning Amsterdam. Welcome at the next Two Tokens podcast. And I'm not here by myself. Left of me, I have Daniel Kuhur and... Um, Right of me. Well, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> Johnny say. Fry, you got welcome your left to right Amsterdam. <laughs> this morning, it, it happens to me all the time. That's weird, right? Welcome in Amsterdam. Super happy to have you here. Um, we're gonna cover an interesting topic. We only have a short time frame, so we need to get into that really quickly. But I first would like to start with maybe a small introduction about you, Dale. Well, first of all, thank you very much for having me uh, today at Two Tokens. Very proud to be here. Um, so my name is Daniel Coeur, I'm Belgian actually, um, uh, and uh, I've been living in uh, um, Luxembourg for the last 25 years and joined and funded actually Tokeny five years ago with my business partner, Luc Valentin, who I've been knowing for more than 15 years. I initially funded his first venture when he was 23, so we get to know each other very early. Um, so Tokeny is a company headquartered in Luxembourg, so we are a team of close to 40 people now. Uh, and the business of, of Tokeny is to create digital representation of financial instruments uh, on the blockchain. So we bring compliance to financial markets, Obviously, security law exists for a good reasons, is to protect investors, and we're able to do that on public blockchain. We have more than 50 customers now. We have uh, 28 billion of assets that we have represented on the blockchain. We have key shareholders such as Euronex and Apex that help us, you know, moving this business forward uh, at scale. And, uh, and I'm very happy to be here and share my knowledge and expertise with you today. Thank you very, thank much. You very much. Johnny. Well, good morning, and uh, yes, thank you, uh, Two Tokens. Thank you, Molly, for um, inviting us um, this morning to uh, to come and be interesting today. Listening to some of the other speakers and running the workshops about tokenization, because it's another one of these sort of words where sort of people go, "Oh, what does it mean? How does it impact us?" Um, my 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 background is um, I set up and ran a fund management company, a mutual fund company, investing money for individuals and charities and pension funds. Um, Floated on the London Stock Exchange. Um, I'm a CEO for about 25 years of that business. But the last seven or eight years, I've been focused very much on looking at the impact that um, blockchain technology and digital assets is having on society and business. And digital assets cover the sort of the well-known sort of crypto things um, and right the way through to the digitization of real assets, whether that be commodities, real estate, equities, debt instruments and the like. And we write a weekly analysis looking at a variety of case studies on a global basis showing how, where and why the technology of blockchain and digital assets are being used in commerce and, and also in society. So, yeah, delighted to be here and chat about some of the bits and pieces. By the way, I'm not an expert because actually... Well, I think you are. No, actually. no, the way the markets are changing so quickly, um, there's a lot of people who like to believe we know the answers. We're still trying to think of the questions. So, And that's, for me, that's what I find really exciting because we are at the edge of and seeing new possibilities and, and challenging the norms. Um, and a good example of that is what's happening in the DeFi sector or the NFT sector, as an example. But we begin to see more and more institutions. Um, and it's great, companies like Tokeny providing proper regulated structure because that's what we need for institutional engagement. And they're the people who've got the real capital that are going to drive this forward. 
Thank you. And I'll shortly introduce myself. So for the people that don't know me, I'm Marlene Evers. I'm the CEO of NExchange. I'm the co-founder of Gold Republic um, and a shareholder in Bondex. So three digital asset platforms uh, where we have both real assets that we tokenize, gold, silver, platinum, and um, NExchange being a regulated market and an MTF um, where we offer and list and trade uh, tokenized securities. Interesting session, I think, this morning. I think the most interesting question uh, to cover is, like, what what does this new technology bring us? Uh, we already have very efficient markets, uh, securities markets. Um, uh, you having uh, your next as a shareholder probably also um, 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 own that or um, uh, agree with me on that. So what does a tokenized security actually bring us? Because it's in, in the end, it's, a, it's still security. It needs to be uh, treated as a security. We need to adhere to the securities law uh, when we issue them, when we trade them. Um, so then you know, like... What what is what is what is what can tokenized securities bring to the market that's new compared to yeah. what we already have? Well, I, I think the first um, differentiation that we have to make between public market and private market. You were saying that those markets are already working um, properly, um, and that is true for um, uh, public markets. You have market infrastructure, you have rules applying to those market infrastructures, um, and they've been operating for more than 150 years for, in the case of Euronext. So, uh, uh, but obviously, if you look at um, the numbers of security listed on Euronext group, uh, so across the seven exchanges that they operate, you only have 2,000 securities. Um, uh, there are 250,000 companies in Europe of more than 100 people uh, that potentially need access to capital. So where do they go when they want to access to capital um, and fund their developments? So, um, so that's why I would start by making the difference between public market and private market. I think that in private market, there's definitely a lack of infrastructure um, and access to capital. And I believe that um, tokenization is in a way trying to address that need from small companies uh, to get access to capital in a more efficient way um, with also um, um, a technology that enables um, to transfer value in an easier way. Uh, at the end of the day, everybody's focusing on what make this technology popular, which is crypto, bitcoins, ether, uh, ICOs, NFTs. But at the end of the day, this is an infrastructure play. Blockchain is an infrastructure, as internet was an infrastructure. Um, and you know, you just have sometimes to ask basic question: what was first, WhatsApp or or the internet? Uh, internet. So now we obviously have an infrastructure that people start to recognize um, that can deliver value to the financial markets. And now we start to see application building on the top of that infrastructure to enable to address those inefficiencies in in. In, in, in capital market and mostly in private markets. And do you, like out of the 50 uh, issuances that you have done on Tokeny, um, how many of them were private, all of them? Or? All of them for the simple reasons that um, regulation is evolving, but whether we like it or not, the regulator is still concerned uh, by allowing people to access to digital assets, retail investors, I would say, to, to digital assets. So um, I think that we still need um, some bit of time in order to see that happening uh, at scale. Uh, we do see offering in, in, uh, of, of securities to retail investors under what we call uh, exemptions. Uh, for example, you have crowdfunding uh, regulation uh, or you have prospectus exemption that allows you to raise up to 8 million at European level. Then every country has a different threshold um, uh, without having the need to uh, to go and register a prospectus with the, the local regulator. You do that with what we call a light prospectus. Um, every country in Europe has 
their own definition of that threshold and how you do that. Uh, but that means that you can raise money under that um, uh, under that threshold. Uh, so we saw that happening numbers of time already. Uh, so we see that um, the retail investors have more appetite for uh, investing in digital assets. We saw most of the use case coming uh, with real assets, real estates, because this is one obviously that people um, can easily relate to. Um, uh, understand the economics. Uh, also, it's been perceived as uh, more stable in terms of how it will keep its value over time. Um, so we saw a lot of companies having expertise in, in those segments, uh, uh, leveraging that expertise to disrupt their own businesses. Um, that, I would say, is the majority of our clients. Uh, but we see more um, in the coming month, a trend towards financial institution yep. now really want to bring the assets on that infrastructure to bring the efficiency that the technology permits. So this is the next wave probably of adoption. Yep. And we have enough either POC or real project um, going for production with large financial institutions that are indicating that, that this wave is going to happen. Um, Johnny, you already um, you already mentioned so so basically the 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 new the new technology is is, is means it's not the means to the end it's what you do with it right so um, yeah, um, but very much so and I, I it's it's interesting because uh, Daniel's absolutely right we've had stock markets invented by the Dutch the first stock exchange in the world was in Amsterdam um, and um, you know it's we've seen how that as a as a way to manage and, and raise capital has been very, very successful. But it's a very, very small percentage um, of, of, of number of companies. Um, here in Europe, we have 23 million SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, um, and they account for something like um, two-thirds of the people that work in, in not the public sector, but in the private sector. Um, they're starved of capital. It's very, very difficult for a small company to actually raise capital. Um, so there, there's a huge demand for people running a business, and if this new technology can help, then they're, they're going to use it, um, and they're going to want to embrace it. The, the, the trouble is, is that you have regulation. You have different regulation in the UK, in Germany, in France, Italy, and Spain, and so that needs to be um, addressed. But having said that, if we start seeing more institutional um, interest coming into this market and using tokenization. Um, using digital assets, which is a term we, we would prefer, because what you're enabling is you're enabling people to get access and buy and sell um, with less costs, and they can do it 24-7. So the day of going to your stockbroker, your financial advisor, I don't know, and having to book an appointment um, and say, well, I'd like to see you, you know, at 9.30 on a Tuesday morning, that's gone. People pick up, you know, these funny things, what are they called? Um, oh, mobile phones. And they want to trade and they want to buy and sell maybe Sunday morning as they're having their boiled egg or whatever, whatever they want to eat on a Sunday morning. And so we're seeing technology coming into our lives and impacting in a way that hasn't been possible in the past. So, and then you're like out of, out of those uh, 50 issuers, how many of them have an actual private market that they use? For secondary, you mean, or...? For, uh, for secondary trading, actually. Well, I think that we are really at the beginning of that. Um, uh, first of all, because there was a need to, uh, to have proper license, such as the one that you have in Holland, to start distributing those securities. Um, but I think also, if we really want to look at secondary market, we have to 
uh, also look at liquidity at large because liquidity does not only relate to transfer ownership. It also relates to what you can do with your security. Can you get access, for example, to uh, to debt uh, by having this uh, security used for collateral, for example, to pledge it? So, um, But if you look at the difference between private market and public market, I think there is one big difference if we want to talk about secondary and liquidity, which is... Um, the confusion that people make between the two. <laughs> what, what, what do I mean with that? If you go on an exchange, obviously, you don't have liquidity, you have instant liquidity. Uh, so as a publicly listed company, you have the obligation to report your, uh, your earnings every quarter. Yeah. You have rating yeah. agency that assess your level of risk. And because you have a transparency on your level of risk and therefore, you know, your balance sheet and therefore pricing, you have market makers that are willing to take positions, buy and sell on market infrastructure. So it's an ecosystem that brings liquidity. In private market, the first thing that you need is price discovery, because what is the value on which you're going to trade, right? And once you have that, um, indeed, is there enough liquidity depth? You know, where do you go to find buyers? Because there are no market makers, because those market makers do not understand the risk associated with your business. So I think that if we want this market to start developing at large, uh, first, we need to Come, we need to create that ecosystem so to assess the value of those of, of these assets can we price it to bring market makers around that will feel more comfortable with providing liquidity but we also have to be open to share liquidity pool um, I think it's it's quite naive to believe that if you go from an infrastructure such as UNF where you have 2,000 securities that trade you know in a, in a very liquid way, to private market where you will have 100,000 of security and, and find liquidity because obviously there will be too many securities simply by, by the numbers, right? So I think that the future of market infrastructure and secondary and, and regulated infrastructure will have by sharing access to asset to asset and sharing liquidity pool to achieve critical mass. If you don't achieve critical mass, there's absolutely no way you will have enough liquidity depth. That's I don't see how it can happen. Yes. Yeah, so then you still have well, your but, mobile but, phone and but, you, but maybe, you can't but do maybe a Maybe not. And, and if you look what's happening in the non, with non-fungible tokens, um, where people are, are subscribing, quite frankly, eye-watering valuations to a cartoon ape, you know, and you think, why, why are people paying that sort of money? That, they're not on exchange. They don't have market makers. And you look at the, the number of NFTs that are being issued, and, and potentially what you're seeing there is a blurring of a unregulated... Um, it, some, it could be a ticket, it could be a lottery ticket, it could be a way to fund a film, it could be a way to actually raise money for a business. And so you're seeing the blurring of very much non-financial assets with a potential financial asset and the creation of interest and potential liquidity. Yeah, and so so that is that is that was my next question that I wanted to ask. So, what can we learn from the the non-security markets, like the NFT markets, the crypto markets? Um, what are the things that you find interesting, Daniel? Uh, if you look at these markets and what's happening over here, and um, what could we use and apply to the security? Yeah, markets? well, that's a very interesting question. I think that um, every time you have a new technology, um, um, it comes with with at least something you can make use of it, right? L let's look at, of course, um, bitcoins. Uh, make clear to everyone that there was a technology where you can transfer value and, and, and managing counterparty risk. And this is the same thing, more or less, that um, um, we, we've learned from, from ICOs. People, you know, can be um, critical on ICOs, but this is um, ICO brought this notion of smart contract, uh, which is in you know, traditional financial term DVP, deliver versus payment, right? So it managed the counterparty risk. Um, if you look at now at NFTs, 
of course, we see in NFT a lot of market manipulation. Let's be honest, right? I mean, that's, uh, that's we, we saw that that's in ICOs. probably due to the, the, the earliness of the... Yeah, I mean, when, when people, you know, the basically... The same, use, the same, stock, the same stock market. Yeah. We've, we've seen it for hundreds of years. No, because... In the beginning. No, I, don't, I, I wouldn't agree with that because um, obviously yeah. you, you're... Dan, it wasn't that long ago. You, you were allowed to do front-running. You were allowed to do insider trading. That, that, that concept is still legal in some countries. Yeah, but it was only 20, 30 years ago it was made illegal, in, in certainly in the UK and, and much of Europe. So, so the trouble is financial markets, they think that they're, they're very well defined, they're very well regulated, and they've sorted out all the KYC and AML. The reality is it's the, it's the infrastructure players, the, the banks in particular, that are consistently getting fined for breaking these rules and regulations. And, and don't get me wrong, I've, I've been regulated personally for nearly 40 years and running an asset management business. And, and currently chairman of a fund administration business, very much regulated. But you have to look at it and say, what has it actually achieved? And can we learn something from this new technology? Can we actually try and really weed out the nefarious actors? And can we actually use the technology, like you say, with smart contracts, to actually say, these are the rules and regulations, and you can't do certain things unless you've met that criteria, as opposed to relying on paper checks and manual intervention, which is broadly where we are with many, many security markets. You know, Molly, you've great example. You're running a business that digitizes commodities. We need commodities on a daily basis. Most commodities are actually only traded in a matter of a few hours. It's not like copper. The copper market is only open literally for a few hours a day. The rest of it is using derivatives outside that. Yeah, and in our, in our case, they trade at 24-7, so with the real-time uh, So you're using the technology so, uh, for a very tangible uh, commodity, gold, silver, and other items, whereby you're bringing real liquidity. So therefore, rather than having markets that trade, and suddenly we don't really know because it's derivatives and futures and everything like that, you can trade 24-7, so that should reduce the volatility of a very very tangible asset. I, I, well, I, I think what's interesting, so your statement is, okay, before we bring liquidity to the market or tradability to the market, we need to have significant volume. Uh, you say just let it go and let's basically look at what the ICO markets did, what the crypto markets are doing. Um, they, they, they are... They are running pretty efficiently. Well, actually, I, I, yeah. I don't necessarily agree on um, that. It, it ran efficiently if you look at, at Binance and the big guys on the limited numbers of assets. But look at what happened yesterday. You know, the market has, are extremely volatile. But all the markets were very yeah, volatile true, but, but, so, uh, but obviously, you know, we always talk about, you know, um, um, primary markets and NASDAQ and others. But look at secondary market. Look at AIM, for example. Look at price volatility on those markets where there is no liquidity. Uh, but aren't there so, other, so, so other... The the point is that if you trade on those markets, you also have to be ready to accept uh, high volatility and very, you know, uh, high um, uh, price reduction uh, when the market is obviously under tension. So that's because I agree with you. It's okay. Market can regulate itself, but you have to understand, and that's the purpose of regulation, that it also comes with a lot of risk. So are you prepared to take that risk? Because okay, now the markets are going up, so everybody's happy. But when you're going to lose, you know, fifty percent, sixty percent, or eighty percent of your savings, are you going to happy with that? Are those markets then as effective as they pretend to be? I'm not so sure about that. No, but but uh, like I don't think that. Um the thing is, an illiquid asset doesn't necessarily become liquid due to the fact that you offer it to a large market. Some assets are just illiquid. Um, but isn't the technology bringing us things that we can use and apply to the markets, um, um, smart contracts, certain rules, uh, where we can protect the investor against certain 
things from happening. Um, so those are the things I think we can look at. Um, we have experience with very illiquid markets. We have um, uh, raised capital for Fastnet, and which is now listed on Euronext, uh, dual listed actually on Euronext and um, and an exchange. Um, what we have seen, what I found interesting, is Fastnet had a couple of thousand, not that many uh, investors. From the moment up, uh, up until they went live on Euronext, there never have been any large price shocks. And there was a reason for it, because we have mechanisms on the market to not let that happen. Uh, with rate colors, um, with identifying certain transactions up front, uh, insider trading, because you know the opposite of a transaction, um, all those kind of things basically um, kept the price of Fastnet relatively stable over those years. Uh, what you saw was that the community was very, very warm <laughs> to Fastnet. And I think every day, well, at max, maybe 100 transactions would happen. That's nothing for your next. But for Fastnet, for such a small fund, it is interesting because those couple of thousand people could do their transactions. So I don't think that you necessarily need large volumes of uh, liquidity before you can start the market. And we never had any market makers on Fastnet. It was really the market that supported it. And, um, but, 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 but you are a regulated exchange. You brought this good market practice on your exchange, and therefore you had um, investors that were trusted, that trusted you, and it was in a way self-regulated itself. Um, because it was in a safe environment, right? So yeah, we're regulated. So, and a security token needs to be traded on a, on a security needs to be traded on a regulated venue. So, all the venues that would offer an exchange in 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 that practice um, would need to adhere to the same rules. So, it's not that you can just do something with it because it's a security, it's heavily, heavily, heavily regulated. But that doesn't mean that you cannot use like the things that we see in the ICOs, like. Uh, reaching out to large communities, offering very small shares or um, whatsoever. I I do think that it would bring something. And um, talking about fractional trading, for example, a real-time settlement. Um, but in the end, what at least what we see, it's not about the secondary market. The secondary market is just a thing that you offer when you take your investors serious, that they have a way of getting out of their transaction if they want to. But it's it's much more the total packages, the primary, the capital raise, the administration. Um, you see more and more people. I mean, what we're saying, the technology is now enabling us to question, um, if you like, the, the systems and processes which have largely been in place um, for several hundred years. And so if, if, you look, if you look at, you know, two of the key requirements of financial regulators is maintaining confidence in the financial markets, and protecting customers and treating them fairly. Yeah, now which is a good thing, I which, think. Which is, yeah. which is a really good thing. And un under that premise, if you look um, and take a, uh, say, take an equity, an equity that can trade nine till five typically, and then after that, um, it's sort of, unless it's a larger company, it can't trade to the next day. So whether something good or bad happens, the price can go up or down. Well, if that, if that equity could be traded um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then people could move, buy in, buy, come out of that equity if they, if they really wanted to. But more importantly, if that equity is going to pay um, a dividend, you could actually pay the dividends based on the number of days that you've held that share. So now you're treating customers fairly, because I've, I've owned, let's say, Airbnb Amro shares for five months and 30 days, and you buy it the day before it goes ex-dividend, yeah. you get all the dividend, yet I've had all the risk. 
How is that treating customers fairly? Well, the reason we can't do it at the moment is in the paper-based analog systems, we, the share registrars, you have no idea today at half past 11, uh, on, or half past 12. Do you say already. Thanks for reminding <laughs> but, me. <laughs> but we don't know who owns um, you know, any quoted company trade in Europe because the markets are moving in and out. Whereas using technology, the regulators, the market would be able to know almost in real time who owns the equities and therefore who is able to actually vote, who is able to receive those dividends. So, so therefore we should use the technology to our advantage. And I think that as we start seeing more institutional engagement and companies like Token and what you're doing, that will then enable the framework and the rules and regulation to be set, which will enable these SME companies that are desperate for finance and that are the powerhouse of many of our economies to be able to hopefully benefit from it. You, you, one um, interesting comment maybe to say on that. You were talking about trading windows. Um, when we were discussing with your, you know, Euronex is very short trading windows. I think they close at four, something like that. And at a certain point of time, they were considering expanding the trading windows. Um, and they decided not to do it because in reality, there's, up, there's almost no trading intraday. They hold up at opening and closing. So people are just watching, you know, when it opens, what happened on the other markets and at closing. But during, you know, intraday, there's almost no business. So question is, okay, if people could trade, you know, 24 by, by, by 7, would it really increase the trades? Um, not necessarily, right, from that perspective. I do agree, however... Not necessarily the trade, but what would happen to the price? That's my point. If you, can tra if you are able to trade 24-7, will, will you see these blocks of trade at the opening and close? Because it's the same in the foreign exchange markets. Regulation, as I was saying, will batch up all the trades and net off, and we'll only have you know, three or four times in the day of trading foreign exchange. Yeah, yeah. but do you know the reality of that is because uh, in any large bank, you have order management and, and, and you have um, deal management. So um, the, basically the wealth management uh, platform is collecting all the order during the day, and, and they consolidate that, and they go at a certain moment in time to the stock market to, to, the stock market to pass that order. So... and, and, and here we're talking about what institutional trading or retail trading. What 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 market are we referring to? Because this is those are very different uh, market. And you know, will really you start trading? You know, buying stock directly on the market. I, do you have the knowledge? Do you have the time to spend on doing that? Or you will entrust people that will do that on your behalf? And if they do, then we'll probably continue trading as they do by consolidating others because this is how they can achieve better price as well. So you know, I I think that uh, it's it's not going to be that disrupted in that sense. But I do believe, however, that the technology, what it enables first is to make data actionable. So instead of having a stupid asset that sits on an Excel sheet for most of that, of the time, you now have a smart asset that you can use to add yields on the top of your existing yields. You know, I had this question, you know, during the last panel in, 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 in the US where someone was asking me, where should I invest? I think, you know, I don't know where you should invest. It depends on your, you know, um, uh, uh, connection with certain type of assets and, 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 and your proportion to take risk. But if you do invest in something that is representing by token, that becomes actionable and you can potentially use it to get you know uh, loans and, and and use that in collateral to get loans to continue investing in a, in a high generating yield assets. So you add yields on the top of yields. And if you don't have a token, then obviously you lose that opportunity but to create more yield. We already do that with regular securities, right? So that's not something new. Well, uh, it, it, well, try to to uh, to pledge a security. It's super complicated. Institutions do stock lending, but no, what you're saying, certainly, I, I don't know the figures from European, but certainly, look at the FTSE, the FTSE 100, in in the UK, half of its total returns come from dividends. So let's assume by doing stock lending, yield farming, you know, that sort of thing with your with your with your stocks, if you could actually increase your returns by getting an extra yield, we all know the advantage of the power of compound interest rates, and actually, you're getting a 
you're potentially getting a higher return for less risk or the same level of risk. So your sharp ratio is going to improve massively. Last uh, last statement about liquidity. So one of the th- the, the things I want to um, discuss with uh, with you. So moving an asset from one trading venue to the other. So from in this case an exchange to your next takes about 15 working days. It's unbelievable, and it has to do with all the layers that you have to go through to the central securities depository, etc. Um, how nice would it be that I can just pick up my asset and go to the Tokeny market? frictionless, real-time. And I think that's possible without losing the roles of the CSD, uh, of the, the, the investment firms, of, of the exchanges, etc., the brokers. That would add a lot of liquidity. Well, right? I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting as an example because you will not even have to take your asset because the asset remains where it is. It stays in the yeah. On, well, the blo- on the blockchain, uh, on the blockchain, on, on the blockchain. Uh, so the, 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 the CSD will yeah. simply have an agent role exactly. uh, that enables him to perform action, uh, such as corporate action, on that asset. So, um, and what I see indeed, um, the, the, the short-term benefit is by um, first for the investors is to reduce the stickiness with the current provider. Yeah. It, 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 it very much will be like pointing the API to a different provider. The assets always remain there, right? So, um, so that means that if you, um, talking about competitiveness, if you don't move on adopting this technology, you are going to reduce your competitiveness um, and, and stickiness. So, um, so the first thing that you need to understand is if this business is moving forward, then you need to really start, you know, how do you preserve that competitiveness for your, for your clients? Yeah. And I think and and I th- I think that's good. Competition is always good for a market, right? So um, so. Um, Molly, okay. the other thing I just in closing just like to sort of remind um, listeners is also the opportunities within the debt market, um, and you know there's there's something that says six and a half trillion dollars worth of bonds issued a year. Because unlike an equity, a bond typically has a life of three to five to yeah. ten years, and at the end of that period has to get rolled over and, re- and renewed. Yes. And what we're seeing now is the technology and the, the tokenization, if you like, of in the equity market is now very much part of the debt market. Um, and the reason for that, it's just cheaper. Yeah. So you're able to actually issue debt instruments, the same risk, um, the, the same liabilities, um, but actually issuing at 30 40% cheaper than the conventional ways. So the biggest issuers of debt typically are governments, and as governments see themselves being able to issue debt in a cheaper format and save, quite frankly, millions of dollars in yen and pounds and you know euros, they're going to you're going to see more and more governments yeah, you, following we, the World Bank's example of issuing debt. We were already shortly touching on that before we went into this room, but how how does such an issuance on distributed um, um, ledger becomes significantly cheaper? Can you can you dive well, into that? Well, the main the main reason is cheaper is because of some of the comments we've been touching on in terms of taking out the intermediaries, actually having smart contracts, which actually mean that a lot of the checks and balances can be done automatically, yeah. as opposed to um, the the current system, which is a it's a fairly arduous paper based process on the whole. What we've done we've we've electrified markets. We haven't digitized them. Yeah. Once you actually digitize them and put them in a way whereby not only can you read with your eyes, but you can, in theory, investigate with the machine, then you can derive a lot more benefits from there in terms yeah. of the so issuance. So it's basically and the uh, making processes more efficient, and because of that, you make a, a cost efficiency. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. But the advantage of that, instead of typically, if you want to do a desk instrument, it's typically 
100 million dollars sterling you know yeah. yen euros that that's typically what you're going to do but if you can actually cut the cost of issuance then you can actually start doing um debt instruments for smaller companies for medium-sized companies okay it's still probably going to be 10 or 20 million so it's not really really small but it's you're opening up those companies to the debt markets yeah. and and you're actually creating regulated security-backed debt instruments and that's a, that's something which we haven't seen um, of any real. We've got a corporate corporate debt market, but actually they tend to be private and fairly illiquid in, in terms of nature. So we're seeing the technology be able to impact the debt market, which I think also is going to be very interesting in the next few years. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, we need to wrap up. Do we have our last ten cents that you want to basically share with the audience? Uh, well, I, I think that first of all, people. Um, um, Lately, he's been saying this market is, is not moving fast enough. Uh, of course, if you look at how fast it was developing with ICOs and non-NFTs, uh, people are looking at the capital market and say, this is not moving fast. I think that what happened with Mika or DLT pilot regime, uh, where we now have a regulation uh, that took less than a year to be drafted and, and, and voted by, by the various um, uh, representatives of countries at, at the European Commission, demonstrate that this market is moving very fast. Um, and also, uh, if we compare to other technology, um, obviously, you know, we didn't start using emails overnight. We first had to start using internet. A um, uh, couple of years ago, people were saying that, oh, I'm never going to put my data on the cloud, and all the data is on the cloud. So, so I think that there are enough evidences that, you know, when technology comes with something that is unique, and quoting Ben Orovitz, you know, blockchain is unique because it carries trust, it will become, you know, uh, mainstream. And, and so it's just a matter of time. It may not be a revolution. It is an evolution. But definitely this is one that will impact all of us. I, I suppose the two things I'd, I'd just like to highlight, and just really confirming what Daniel said, blockchain is the one thing that blockchain gives you is transparency, which leads to trust. Uh, and that's a, that's a commodity which is increasingly seems rare with all the fake news and the like flying around. So I think that's, that's why the technology is really interesting from, from our perspective. Um, but I think the other thing that unfortunately we need at the moment is not education, but re-education. And that's something we'll be touching on later on um, in the workshops, because people come to this with a preconceived idea. And when you talk about a digital asset, oh gosh, you're talking about Bitcoin and you're talking about Shiba and Dogecoin <laughs> and all the other, you know, questions. That's a very small percentage of the assets we're talking about. You know, at, at best, it's sort of one and a half, two trillion, given what's happened to the markets at the moment. The opportunity is in, is in the real estate market, in the commodity market, in the equity market, in mutual funds, where there's 100 trillion US dollars worth of assets. And that's where most of our pensions and savings are, in that area. And the tokenization, the digitization, effectively putting a digital wrapper in the same way your company's been doing with commodities. That's where I think it's going to be really exciting and start impacting and enabling people literally to be able to buy and sell, if they want to, 24-7. Um, so, so that's where it's, it's, I think it's really exciting and not get focused on, if you like, the crypto side, but look at the, how the technology can really change raising money, managing money and making society actually much, much more inclusive on a global basis. And I think that's the prize if we can unlock it. Okay. Yeah, I think if I, if I have my last uh, 10 cents, I think um, we, we do both. Uh, we administrate uh, securities on the blockchain, but we also administrate securities on the central database. Um, for me... Like the DLT technology really brings added value once other marketplaces also start using them, once the CSDs also start using them, then then we really would start 
lifting. It's like a skeleton, isn't it? Exactly. And and that will take some time. Um, up until then, there's certainly so much um, added value. Of already, for example, our cash. Um, we um, uh, together with ABNM or Clearing Bank, we administer, we, we we keep our cash administration on the blockchain, um, and we always have the same view of the cash position of uh, of um, uh, of the investor. So that makes it possible to do frictionless uh, DLP uh, DVP settlement. Um, so in in those cases, we really see uh, see uh, I see a future. I love 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 the NFTs. Um, not so much from like the board ape or whatsoever, but if you look at Gold Republic in this case, uh, we have a uniquely identifiable bar, and if we can connect that token to that unique bar and make it non-fungible, it basically makes the product better. So those are the things I'm really interested in. But, but they're in. also challenging the way we treat things like gold, using an NFT around gold. No, because the NFT is basic, uh, in, in my opinion, uh, would be the um, uh, the representation of the ownership yeah, in the actual yeah. gold bar. Not so much the NFT itself, yeah. but the gold bar, that's basically what you trade in the end. Yeah. So... Um, Super excited, super nice to uh, to meet you. I'm excited for what's going to happen the rest yeah. of the day. Um, we're getting fired up. And uh, <laughs> let's move into the roundtable. Thank, Thank you, you very much, much Daniel. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Johnny. And um, speak soon. Bye. That was it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening in. And please subscribe so you don't miss out on our upcoming episodes. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find our contact details at www.twotokens.org.